So, so this morning we're going to start a new series, um, and it, it kind of weaves in with um, the season of Advent, and the series is entitled, What Christmas Meant. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I love the Christmas season. Um, I realize that perhaps as a Christian, I should love Easter more. Um, and per- perhaps maybe as a pastor, I should love Easter more, right? Because that's all about the resurrection. That's all about Jesus coming out of that tomb. And that the empty tomb is really just the hope here. But I, I got to be honest with you. If, if, uh, if you had a choice, and luckily I don't have a choice. If I had to choose one or the other, um, I, I would probably lean more towards Christmas. Right? Um, I, I would. And I just... I just love the Christmas season because everyone gets into it. Everyone is in the Christmas season. In fact, I came across a, a little statistic that shared that over 90% of Americans uh, celebrate Christmas. Over 95% of Christians in America celebrate Christmas. And what is so interesting is that in addition to that, about 73% of the people who were polled for Americans here, 73% of them believe that the Christmas story is historically accurate that they actually believe that we actually believe that there was born in Bethlehem a child to a couple named Mary and Joseph and that there was a star in the east that beckoned people from all over that region to come and to see this newborn king and that there were wise men who came and that there were shepherds in fields that, were, that came. And that there were all sorts of people who came to see the hope of the world. Now that is just unbelievably encouraging to me that 73% of Americans believe that that is, is historically accurate. Amen? Amen? That what we celebrate here isn't false. That what we are celebrating here didn't just get dreamed up by some people. By the way, I don't know about you, but I am not that creative. There is no way I believe that any human being, no matter how creative they can be, could have ever dreamt up the story of the coming of the Savior of the world. Because I don't know about you, if I had the Savior of the world coming, I certainly wouldn't have him come as a baby. I'd be like, God, let's just get this done right now. All right? Let's don't mess around, okay? If there was a way that I would have Jesus come, it certainly wouldn't have been as a baby. It would have been certainly as an adult, a victorious king, etc., etc., etc. But instead, what we celebrate starting today is the coming of a king, the savior of the world, the one who will be destined to die on a cross and be raised from the dead. So that we could be saved. Amen? Amen. This is our story. This is our celebration. And I love the fact that over 90% of Americans will celebrate with us. We have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, don't we? We have an opportunity to share the gospel. If they can believe that this story is historically accurate, then guess what? There is hope. There is hope for people to come to know Jesus Christ and to come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. That is why I am so excited about the Christmas season. When the Christmas season comes, I I just, last year we subscribed to Spotify. We get the family plan and I love it because I can download music um, 
legally, right? I could do all that stuff legally. And artists get paid as they should get paid. And it's a wonderful thing. And so our family has a Spotify account. And, and, and you know, they put playlists together and all that kind of stuff. And you can share the playlists with each other. But there's one playlist that I love that no one else has. And I love the Michael W. Smith Christmas playlist. Or Amy Grant. I get old school on this. Okay? Michael W. Smith is old time Christian. The very first Christian concert I ever went to was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Bradley Center. And it was Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, and Gary Chapman. Some of you might remember that. Some of you are going, who in the world are they? Don't worry about it. It's all good. I am just showing my age. And so, and my blonde hair. And so, here's the thing is that I, I will put a playlist and it's just filled with just awesome Christmas songs because I go old school. I just love these Christmas songs. I will play those Christmas songs every single day until January and then until I'm sick of it. And then I take a break for 11 months or 10 months and then start it all over again. I love the Christmas season. I love this, the birth story. I love the fact that Jesus came. I love the fact that the entire world, or even specifically our own country, or even specifically our own community, just all of a sudden gets decked out for Christmas. It's wonderful. It is just wonderful. And so this morning, what we are going to do starting today in this series is we are going to be taking a look at what Christmas meant, but not what it meant necessarily to me or to you, but what it meant rather to those who were there when it all happened. And let me just say this. Even today, especially today, we're going to look at someone who, while maybe for us, certainly for me, the Christmas story is exciting, the Christmas story is wonderful, the Christmas story brings hope, the Christmas story is joyful. For this individual that we're going to look at today, it was none of those things. The Christmas story was anything other than joyful, was anything other than hopeful, was anything other than kind of exciting time. In fact, for the individual that we're going to look at today, it was in many ways the exact opposite of what the Christmas story means to me and may mean to all of you. And this individual that we're going to look at today is an individual by the name of King Herod. And I want to read for you his... Now, there's a lot of Herods in the scriptures, okay, in the New Testament particularly, um, I, I, this is the first Herod, Herod the Great, okay? That's all you have to know, Herod the Great. Uh, he is not the one that was involved with John the Baptist. He is not the one that was involved when Jesus was on trial. That's not this Herod, okay? This is the first Herod. This is the Herod who started it all, Herod, okay? And what I want to read for you today is I want to read for you how he kind of interpreted the birth of Jesus Christ. And the passage I want to read for you this morning comes out of Matthew chapter 2. And I want to start with verse 7. And here is the setting of the story. And I, I want to read just a little bit before that. I won't have it on the screen. So I don't want to freak the, the people out in the back there. I'm going off road here. Okay. Um, I'm just going to start at the beginning of verse 2. And it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
Then, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Another word for that is, he was scared out of his mind. He was scared out of his mind. And not only was he scared out of his mind, but it says here, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, we'll get into a little bit about why all of Jerusalem was scared out of their minds. It's for different reasons than why Herod was scared out of his mind. Okay? Let me just say this. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Okay? Same thing here. If the king is scared, everyone else is scared. Okay? Everyone else was freaked out for different reasons than Herod was freaked out. But nonetheless... When Herod hears about the birth of Jesus Christ, there wasn't jubilant celebration. There wasn't excitement over what was going on here. Herod was afraid. He was troubled. And we'll get into a little bit why that is. Now, verse 7. Now we'll get back on the road again. It says this. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and behold, the star which had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Magi knew how to celebrate. They understood the significance here and they celebrated it. And after they had come into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while he was, while it was still night and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod and this happened so that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent men and killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity who were two years old or under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, And she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now that's a different take on the Christmas story. Right? where we celebrate King Herod was incredibly fearful. Why? Why was Herod so afraid? Why did Herod respond 
the way that he did. Well, perhaps there's a few reasons I'd like to share with you this morning as to why. And my hope is I'm not going to leave us there because it's a terrible place to leave us, okay? But what I want to do is I hopefully want to share with you a little bit about what Jesus was offering that sometimes we, certainly Herod, did not see. But there were several reasons why I believe Herod was incredibly frightened or troubled by the birth of Jesus Christ. And one was this, is that while we and while many including the Magi, looked at the birth of Jesus with joy and with great expectation. Herod looked at the birth of Jesus as a threat. It was first and foremost a threat to his authority. King Herod, you see, was the only king in Jerusalem, and he was going to make sure that he was the only king at that time. There would be no other. You know, because he secured his position as king not by his birthright, He didn't come to the throne because his father before him was king. He didn't come to the throne because he was part of a lineage of royalty. And therefore, that was just a natural succession for him to come to the throne. No, no. He came to the throne by doing something very crafty. Is that while his father was a general in the Roman army and secured great victories, Herod, his son, went rather to Rome and went to the emperor there and negotiated with the emperor and asked and secured the right to be a king over Israel. It wasn't through succession. It wasn't through inheritance. It was because he asked. And the emperor, in whatever way he was in that day and the mood he was in that at that time, granted to Herod the opportunity to be king in Israel. Perhaps because, for quite frankly, the emperor, Israel was always been and always had been a place of just strife and turmoil. It was really hard to govern. And Herod maybe gave the emperor insurances that he could govern this land appropriately and that he could make sure, and this is what probably got the emperor's attention, that they would pay their taxes to him. They would be able to receive their money. And so the emperor granted Herod kingship And so he went back to Israel and was king over that land. And he was going to let nobody take that away from him. Not even his sons and not even his own wife whom he had killed when there was even a hint that they were trying to usurp his authority. If he was willing to kill his sons and his own wife, he certainly was willing to kill Jesus. Nothing was going to take that authority from him. Here's a second reason. It was a threat to his influence. A threat to his influence. Herod wanted to be loved and accepted by those he ruled. And in addition to that, he wanted to be seen as their savior. He wanted to be seen as the savior of the Jews. And so he did things that were incredibly endearing at least in many ways to try to endear himself to the people of israel he took on enormous building projects in the land of israel perhaps one of the most famous building projects was the expansion of the temple in jerusalem which was an incredible expansion even probably surpassing the original temple built by king solomon And in fact, so mammoth was this this structure, the temple in Jerusalem, that even today there are remnants of that structure. In fact, the only remnant of the temple we have today is what's called the Wailing Wall, where people go there and they put in slips of paper offering prayers and they put those papers filled with those prayers inside the crevice of that wall. That is the only remnant of the temple that was built by Herod. That was built by Herod. 
all in an attempt to endear the people of Israel to him. All in an attempt to say, look it, I am your king. Look what I am doing for you. I am building and expanded the temple for you. Look how good I am. Love me, love me, love me. Accept me, accept me, accept me as your king. Look what I have done. And not only that, when a severe famine hit around 25 BC, he actually gave money out of his own coffers to help alleviate the suffering of the people of Israel. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be accepted. He wanted to know that his influence was great. And Jesus threatened that influence. Finally, Jesus represented a threat to his identity. You see, Herod wasn't truly Jewish. He was Idumean. His father was Jewish, but his mother was not. And to any good Jew, you know that true Jewishness is passed down through the mother and not through the father. And while he did his best to try to ingratiate himself with the Jewish people, in the end, they all knew what he knew in that he wasn't truly Jewish. But that didn't stop him. He believed that he was the rightful heir and the savior of the people of Israel. And because of that, he tried his best, but he also knew that he was never fully accepted nor fully loved. And even to the point that nearing his death, Herod ordered that religious leaders of that day, we gathered in a stadium, and that when he died, there were orders to be given that they would all be killed because he knew how much he was disliked by the people of Israel, that when he died, there would be celebration, and he was not going to let that happen. And he was bound and determined in his own words that when I die, there will be mourning. Even if he has to kill the religious leaders to get it. This was Herod. Now, by the way, end of the story, those religious leaders were never killed. His sister, after he died, freed them. So there was celebration. Herod didn't get his wish. This is King Herod. This is Herod the Great. But you know what Jesus did above everything else, and that's what we read here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, was that it brought out Herod's most deepest fears. The birth of Jesus, while it was a threat to his authority, while it was a threat to his influence, while it was a threat to his identity, perhaps more than anything else, it brought out Herod's deepest seated fears. Fears such as not being legitimate. Not being the legitimate king. Fears of not really truly being secure in his position. And the reality that he was truly, at when it was all said and done, not in control. And not only that, he probably by the birth of Jesus, feared what would be exposed as a complete sham, that everything he built, everything he worked for, everything he tried to do would be shown for what it really was. Nothing. A person who was scared. A person who was not secure in himself. A person who, in the end, was never truly loved or accepted, even though he wanted to be. And that's probably 
the greatest fear of all was not being truly loved or accepted. And while Herod used death to instill fear in those he ruled so he could preserve his life, you see, a new king came. The fulfillment of all the scriptures has come, and instead of instilling fear and using death to preserve his life, this king, this king would do things differently. Jesus would die so that we could have life. Instead of instilling fear, Jesus came to bring hope. Instead of seeking an end, Jesus came to bring a new beginning. Instead of more of the same to expect from what kings would do in those days, Jesus came to set things new. You see, this king that came into the world came to save and not condemn, to bring hope and not fear. And his kingdom prevailed and would prevail against the Romans, would prevail against Herod, would prevail against any other government that would come against him. That's this king. Just for my historical, you know, nerdiness that I have here. You know what one of the main reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire was? It was Christianity. You know how they did it? You know how Christianity helped to bring down the Roman Empire? It wasn't that they took up arms to go and fight against Rome. That's not how they did it. It wasn't that they all of a sudden started a petition and circulated it. That's not how they did it. It's not as though that they went and protested at the emperor's palace in Rome and said, you need to leave now. It's time for a new beginning. Right? We want a savior and you're not it. We want to recall you. We want a do-over. That's not how Christians did it in those days. Do you know how they helped bring down the Roman Empire? They served. They laid down their lives. They showed mercy in the face of anger. They displayed forgiveness when those who wanted to harm them and even kill them, they went out and, and helped cure and care for the sick when, when very few, if anybody else, wanted to do that. That's how they brought down the Roman Empire. They displayed the kingdom of Jesus in the present. That's how they brought it down. That's how they brought down the Roman Empire. Oh, and by the way, they also said this. Yeah, Caesar, you're not God. There's only one God, and you're not him. We worship Jesus. You're not our Savior. Jesus is. You're not here to rescue us. Jesus has come. And we're going to follow Jesus. What is so amazing about this is that the purpose of Jesus' birth, while it was a threat to Herod, while it was a threat to Herod, was in actuality a call to him. You see, what is so interesting about Herod in the story we just read here is that when he saw that there was this star out there and there was this commotion going on, he called the Magi over and asked them what was going on. And then he consulted with the religious leaders who said, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the fulfillment of everything that we had read about in the scriptures. This is what's happening now. And, and all of a sudden now, instead, Herod looked at all of this stuff and said, my authority, my identity, my influence is at peril. Instead of looking at it as Jesus is calling Herod to say, stop, 
Come and follow me. Be a part of what I am doing here. In other words, Jesus' birth is not a threat, but a call of hope. Stop pretending, Herod. Be real. Stop trying to live a false life. Let's help you live a real one in me. It was a call of hope, not a threat. The late theologian, Jaya Packer, says this. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in the stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Yesterday, while we were decorating for Christmas, some creative team members, and sometimes they make my head hurt. They do. They're so creative, I don't get it. So out on the patio there, I don't know if you all saw this, there's a manger filled with straw. You know what's behind that manger? None of you saw it, did you? You just walked right past it. I bet you're going to see it now. Not now. Wait till the service is over. There's a cross. They were putting this up yesterday. I was like, seriously? If there's, there's, okay, let me just be honest with you all. Okay, I love the cross. The cross is great. I have no problem with the cross, okay? It is not the only symbol of Christianity. I know, right? If anything, the empty tomb should be. But it's really hard to market an empty tomb. You can't put it nicely on a necklace. You just can't. So the cross is good. It's neat. It's clean. It's simple. It sells. Right? An empty tomb just doesn't seem to make much sense. Right? But I was thinking, you know what? We should not have a cross at Christmas. The cross is the manger. In the same way, I don't like to see the cross at Easter. Right? We had Good Friday. Good Friday is done with. There should be no cross. But however, as I was thinking about it more, I was thinking, no, no. That's right. From a baby to the cross, this was the journey of Jesus. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the hope that was, that is calling, that was calling Herod, that is now calling us today to say, stop pretending. The life maybe you have constructed, the persona that maybe you have worked to project, stop it. That's enough. You can stop pretending. In some ways, maybe if we think about it, that Jesus' birth, like it was to Herod, may be a threat to us in some way. It may be a threat to us in our authority that we have over others because we have constructed a way that we have, that we have people believing that we are truly there to save them, that we are the only ones who can help them, that we are the only ones who can get people out of trouble. Maybe. Maybe we just like authority for authority's sake. Maybe Jesus, like Herod, threatens our influence. Because maybe we are trying to make ourselves legitimate in the eyes of people we want to be legitimate to. Have you ever noticed, let me just give you an example of this. In social situations, have you ever found people, for instance, you're talking to a southerner, right? I'll just use this as an 
example, right? Southerners have that accent, right? That southern drawl, right? Um, they end things, oh, bless your heart kind of thing. Have you ever noticed, if you're ever with a southerner, do you ever notice how you sometimes may be tempted to take on some of their lingo and begin to sound like them? Right? Why? Why do we do that? Why do we Because we want to be accepted. We want to have a camaraderie with them. Now, let me just say this, church. I am so grateful that you have not done that with me with my Wisconsin accent. <laughs> People tease me all the time. Hey, Dan, can you say bag? What do you do with, how do you beg if you have a bag? And say bagels and all that kind of stuff. And we don't take up, you know, we don't call the drinking fountains bubblers, although they should be called bubblers because that's what they do. They bubble up. They're not a fountain. Right? I'm so grateful you haven't tried to ingratiate yourself with me. I don't know why. <laughs> I have lost influence. Never had it. Right? But perhaps more than that, Jesus is a threat as he was to Herod to our identity. That everything we think we are may not be who we truly are. That at the end of the day, like Herod, we need a savior. That at the end of the day, like Herod, everything that we have constructed to think and believe about who we are may not be, in the end, who we truly are. That maybe who we truly are are people who are wounded, who are sinful, who are broken, who are living in the dark. And all of a sudden, this light comes and exposes those things in our hearts. And guess what? It's not pretty. It's not always welcomed. We would prefer to keep things in the dark as long as we can. And all of a sudden now, Jesus may represent that threat of exposing us. That we're posers. That we're posers. That in some ways, we are not real with others. And more importantly, we're not real with ourselves. That we are simply posers. But you know what I find interesting is that the coming of Jesus shouldn't be a threat, but rather a call, like it was to Herod. It should be a call to us. I'm not here, Jesus, I believe, is saying, to make you feel bad. I am not here to threaten you. I am here to give you hope. You can stop pretending, you can stop posing. You can stop all of this stuff and come to me. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. A living hope. The hope we can have today in Jesus Christ isn't stale, it isn't dead, it is living. Romans 15, 4 says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that being the Old Testament, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what? Hope. The birth of Jesus Christ, as foretold in the Old Testament, has now finally happened. And it isn't meant to threaten us, but rather to give us hope. So, brothers and sisters, stop pretending. 
Stop pretending. Look at the birth of Jesus, not as a threat, but as a call. Embrace Him. Let His light shine in the dark areas of our lives, the areas we have tried to keep hidden, the areas of our lives that we don't want exposed. Let Him expose it, not so that He can condemn us, but so that He can save us. Not so that He can make fun of us, but so that He can encourage us. Not so that He can say, I knew it all along. And now, not only do I know it, but everyone else is going to know it because I'm going to say it from the mountaintops because I'm God and I can do that and no one's going to stop me. He doesn't do it to shame us, but to save us. Brothers and sisters, I want to share with you today, if you have been pretending, and I don't care what it's been, if you have been pretending... If you have been a poser, I want to tell you today, please stop. Come into the light. Jesus, in his birth, says it's going to be okay. You can be real. Trust me, you're not alone. You're not alone. If you think you're here today and you're covering up some big secret, you're not the only one. If you're here today and you are fearful that you're going to get exposed, you're not the only one. If you're here today and you are got this persona that, that just projects to everyone else that you have it all together, by the way, you, and, and deep down inside, you don't, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Come into the light. It won't be easy. But I'll guarantee you this. Jesus because of his birth. Jesus, because of his coming, will make us more like him. And I don't know about you, but I would rather serve a king who would die for me than one who would want to put me to death. I would rather serve a king who would want to forgive me than one who would judge me. I would rather serve a king who is filled with mercy and grace than one who is filled with hatred that's the king I want to bend my knee to. Amen. So come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful, Jesus, for your coming. And then in your coming, as I prayed earlier, Jesus, I pray once again, you brought us hope. Father, I pray for any one of us here today who may have been putting on a good show, like Herod, trying to protect, trying to control trying to make sure to never be exposed for who he really was. And maybe we're trying to do the same thing, Jesus. I pray today, Jesus, would be the time, would be the opportunity for us to come clean. To come clean. To know, Jesus, and to rest that your birth and your coming is not a threat, but rather a hope. I pray, Jesus, that we would embrace you, and in doing so, we would embrace the hope that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven, that we can be made whole, that we can be once again yours, who we have been this entire time, but maybe I've rejected it, have forgotten it, have tried to cover it up. Jesus, save us.
Cleanse us. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. Thank you for calling us. In your name that we pray. Amen.